Thank you very much, Karen, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, in light of the message of the song that Karen sang, we are so very grateful that you are our rock. You're our fortress. And we know in Christ, he's the living water, the bread of life, along with many other items. That in our hunger and our thirst and our struggle, we can come to you through Christ. <clears throat> we can rest in all that we have in Christ. And as we interact with the portion of your word, we're grateful again that you have won the victory. We live and respond in light of <clears throat> what you have done in your creation, what you have provided in Christ, and what you are doing even in the present and what you will do in the future. <clears throat> For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> After the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was led, into the, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the enemy came to him, Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The enemy came with a second temptation, taking him, taking him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. There's a third temptation came Jesus' way. He took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus was in a spiritual battle. Satan was out to introduce doubt. Because God had said at the baptism of Jesus... This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Satan comes along and says, If you are the son of God. As children of God, we are in a spiritual battle. Therefore, we need to use the armor provided by the Lord. And as we consider Ephesians chapter 6, let me share several reasons why we should listen, why we should obey. I imagine your house, you notice a sag in the floor. And you call a contractor and you say, I got a sag in my floor. What can you do for me? And you, he says, well, we will bring some wood in and we'll add some plywood and we'll level your floor up for you. You would probably say, I'm not so sure I want to hire you. Suppose Alan is going to go hunting with his boys and he says, boys, we're going to go hunting for bear. And he says, get your BB gun. Well, you want to use the correct weapon. You see a spot in the carpet and you look close and you say, oh, it's some tar. I think I'll get some water and try to clean it.
we need to know the nature of what we're dealing with if we're going to respond correctly. Years ago, the story goes that there was <clears throat> some believers got together for prayer meeting. They would get together and pray, and there was a young guy who came to Christ, and he started to attend a prayer meeting. And every week, and one of the older guys would pray, Lord, remove the cobwebs from my life. And every week, the old guy would pray that, and the young guy just got tired of hearing it. And one time, the old guy was praying, Lord, remove the cobwebs from my life. And the young guy just piped up while the guy was praying, Kill the spider, Lord! How many times in life, if we don't understand the nature of the battle, we don't use the correct armor? Essentials are important in transition, important in change. And one of the essentials is to, again, recognize the nature of our battle. And we want to read together Ephesians 6. 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that... Whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which, and I, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. A core essential is that we grasp <clears throat> our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And last week we considered the fact that we are to be strong in the Lord and his power. We considered his power as described in Ephesians. The way we should respond is to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand. And the nature of the battle is that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what does he say? Take the armor. And it's interesting that he says in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything to stand, when you're done with the day of evil, 
you're standing, the believers in Ephesus standing, because they put on the armor. Then he describes the armor in verses 14 through 18. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled in place. If you were to look at a Roman soldier, they would put on the belt of truth involving around their waist and so on. And that piece of armor, the belt would be used to hold some other pieces of armor in place. And if Paul had the Roman soldier's armor in mind, he says, put on the belt of truth. Truth ties in with that which is worthy of credit and trustworthy. In chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul talks about the fact that he writes to the Ephesians, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Truth in Ephesians ties in with Christ. It ties in with the gospel of Christ. What Christ did because of who he was. His going to the cross, his rising rising from the dead. The belt of truth ties in with the gospels. In the gospels we find Christ's character, identity, his being, his death, and his resurrection. The belt of truth ties in with Christ as it relates to the book of Revelation, where in the future we find that God speaks of the wrath of Christ and the glory that is going to be revealed in him. The belt of truth influences daily living because in chapter 4, 15, and 25, he talks about speaking the truth. So when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, when the day of evil comes, he's talking about taking Christ, taking the gospel, and in our minds, thinking truth. And we'll work through an example a little later. The battle is primarily with the thinking in the mind, the putting off of the doubt that the enemy introduces and bringing the belt of truth. Paul goes on, he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness for the Roman soldier would have protected vital organs, heart, lungs, liver, and so on. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about an imputed righteousness, a standing before God that the believer has, Ephesians would have had that believers today have of being righteous. And if you look at chapter 1 of Ephesians and verse 4, along with verse 7, verse 4 says, For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And verse 7, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished in us with all wisdom and understanding. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The fact that we have a righteous standing in Christ, an imputed righteousness. And that righteousness again, that standing of righteousness before God influences daily living. 
Because in verse 24, he talks about putting off and putting on in terms of action. So the enemy comes with doubt. And again, we'll work through a couple examples a little while. We put on, I've been declared righteous. I have an imputed righteousness. That's my standing before God. And that is true of all believers. It's not true just of one or two believers. It's true of all believers, whether they're struggling or they're doing well. Paul goes on, he says, you're to put on or have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And what I found as I searched about the armor, that we're dealing in a Roman army, that they were, would have, the soldiers would have shoes with fairly, fairly thick soles, and then they were studded with nails so that their travel and walking could be more quickly. And there was one battle in particular that the Roman army won because the enemy was not expecting them to get there as fast as they did. Again, because of their feet with readiness. And it's interesting, he says, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now think about life. If you're not sure you're at peace with God, do you respond very well to him? I'm not sure where I'm at with God today. Am I at peace with him or am I not? You're not going to respond very well to him. You're not ready to respond to him. And the same is true in relationships. You come home from school, you come home from work, and you think, how do I stand with my family? I left them in kind of a bad, with a bad argument. What's going to happen? I'm not sure we're at peace. And you kind of back away. Paul says your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the peace he is talking about is in Ephesians chapter 2. And where Paul mentions... For he himself, Christ himself, is our peace, who made the two one and destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility. Readiness that comes from peace. Through Christ, there's a peace with God that is permanent, ongoing, whether you're doing well or whether you're not doing well. But there's also peace with other believers, and that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because believers are put into the body of Christ, there's a unity, and there's peace. And he says, maintain that. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The enemy introduces doubt into life. We choose to put on The gospel of peace. We're ready to respond. That's true of all believers. They can put on the gospel of peace. Paul goes on in verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Shield of faith. There's two different shields that were used by Romans. And one was a probably about a four foot by two and a half foot shield. 
many times covered with a leather. And the enemy would sometimes on their darts that they would shoot, put tar, light the tar, and shoot it at the enemy. You know, the dart being flaming. But the shield would protect. And Paul says, the shield of faith. As you look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, you'll find there that Paul talks about having believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says, For it is by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In chapter 3, in verse 17, he also talks about faith. The shield of faith. Shield of faith is referring to a dependency upon God. Taking God at his word. Taking God at his promises and responding. So the Ephesians came to faith in Christ. They took the message of Christ. They accepted it. They depended upon it. The Ephesians taking the promises concerning their redemption and forgiveness and living and responding when the enemy throws his darts. He clearly states extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Shield of faith extinguishes them. The evil one will send darts in various ways. Darts of doubt. Darts that will tempt us to move from following Christ. And he says the shield of faith extinguishes them. So as an example, Lord, I'm going through this difficulty. Why should I rejoice? The very nature of the question, why should I rejoice in the difficulty, is a question of doubt. The shield of faith would say, God says it. God tells me to rejoice in my difficulty. I will. I will believe what God says. Paul goes on. And he says... Take the helmet of salvation. I think we know that a helmet for the Roman soldier would protect the head, protect the brain. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that the Ephesians, along with believers today, were dead in transgressions and sins, following the ways of this world, the desires of the sinful nature, and also following the God of this world. But in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, Paul says that because of God, who is rich in mercy, we were made alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Been made alive, been raised with Christ, and we're seated with Christ. In other words, there's a deliverance from being dead. To being in Christ. Helmet of salvation. 
And that's why Paul says in chapter 4, 25 through chapter 5 and verse 21, put off lying, speak the truth, put off stealing, put on work, put off cutting words, put on building words, because we've been delivered from those things and their power. Again, we're dealing with thinking. Helmet of salvation. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Been raised with Christ. Been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And again, that is true of all believers. No matter how much they struggle. No matter how much they've failed. The helmet of salvation is still there. It doesn't depend upon how we live. The armor has been provided in Christ. Paul goes on then. He says, use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is, or a sword in the Roman army, I'm sorry, would be an offensive weapon. It would be used. The enemy comes. Paul says the sword of the Spirit, and he says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. In other words, what does God say? As an example, in chapter 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, we find that Paul reminds the believers in Ephesus, and I think us today, that we have been adopted. We're going to be presented to God holy and blameless. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. That's what God says about us. What God says about believers. In chapter 4, 1 through 3, in light of who we are in Christ, he says, walk worthy of your calling, being humble and gentle. The sword of the Spirit tells us what to put in place of the empty ideas of the world. Again, we're dealing with the mind using the Word of God to resist the doubts that the enemy brings our way. And this is, again, is true of all believers. The sword of the Spirit is there. It doesn't depend on how well we live. It's there. And then Paul says in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit. The Spirit lives within the believer. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 brought that out. The Spirit is at work within us in chapter 2 and chapter 3. So he says, pray in the Spirit. Communicate with God. Talk to God. Writing to a body of believers. Talk to God. In chapter 1, 15 through 23, Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. They might have a spirit of wisdom and understanding that they might know God. They might experience God. He prays that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. They might know the hope to which they've been called. The riches of God's inheritance in the saints. In chapter 3, 14 through 19, Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus that through the Spirit they might grasp the love of God. In chapter 6, 19, and 20, Paul says to the believers in Ephesus, here's how you can pray for me. Pray. Individually, 
When you're in struggle, pray. In your marriage, when you're in struggle, pray. In your family, when you're in struggle, pray. When the body of Christ in the local church is in struggle, pray. When the enemy attacks, pray. What do you think will happen when you're having a family struggle and someone says, stop, stop? We're going to pray together. going to change the nature of the battle. A body of believers is having conflict and having struggle, and finally someone in a meeting says, Stop! We're going to pray together as a body. Changes the nature of the struggle. Pray is true of all believers. Whether you're doing well or whether you're struggling, whether you've lived well yesterday or you haven't done so well, we can still pray. Christ, as our high priest, has not changed. Our position as priest has not changed. We can go to God in prayer. True of all believers. We struggle many times, I think, in using the armor. Because the enemy has lured us to think and live like we're battling seen people and seen items. So we look for solutions in terms of money, a new job, a new program, a new political leader. And we could just add on to that. Paul says the nature of your battle is not against people. So you're driving down the road someday, for those of you who drive, and you're in a hurry because you left late, and you want to make your appointment on time, and you start into West Nanticoke, and the driver in front of you is putzing along at 20 miles an hour. I can just envision what's going through your mind. How do I know? Because I know what would go through mine, and I think we're pretty similar. And probably some of the thoughts aren't always good. And you think, if that, I'll stop with that driver. At least went the speed limit, it would help. And you see the driver as the enemy. So you respond according to the driver. Have you stopped to say, there's some battle going on that I don't see here? Number one, I left late. Number two, I'm, con- I'm responsible for how I think and respond. And so on. So let's take an example of an individual. You may have some relational struggle. You pick it out. Or you may have some besetting sin. You pick it out. But working through the armor. The person is not the enemy, even though I have to respond to them. And I'm not the enemy, if it's a besetting sin. Rather, I'm dealing with a battle that involves the dark worlds of rulers and authorities and so on. I'm dealing with a battle, an unseen battle. 
I have this besetting sin. I'm struggling with this relationship. We're dealing with an unseen battle here. But it's manifested in people, besetting sin and so on. So I'm going to put on the belt of truth. I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to reflect on Christ and who he is and the gospel of Christ. I'm going to think about the fact that I have a righteous standing before God. I can respond in a righteous way because I have this righteous standing before God. And it's not dependent upon my struggle. It's not dependent upon how I respond or how I responded yesterday. I have this righteous standing before God. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with other believers. I have this standing before God. Be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Faith. What promises, what parts of God's word apply? Salvation, I can resist sin and respond correctly because I've been taken from being dead to being in Christ. How am I to respond? What does God say? How should I respond in this circumstance? Well, I'm to put off a cutting word. I'm to put on a building word. I'm to put off bitterness. And I'm to put on compassion. And then pray. God has given us armor. So often, the enemy lures us into thinking the battle is against people, is against ourselves. We're in a spiritual battle. Now think about a family conflict, whatever nature it may be. You may have one that you've been through in the past. Family members are not the enemy. They may appear to be the enemy, but they're not the enemy. Rather, we're in a battle that involves a dark world of rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're dealing with an unseen battle. But we're tempted to think the person is the problem. Again, we're thinking in a biblical, in a godly, Christ-like way. And I think you've been through enough conflicts in family life. You recognize what happens right away. We blame. What did Adam do when God questioned him? He blamed Eve. And what did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. So the next time you have a family argument, you have a family difficulty, Well, who's at fault here? Maybe you better step back and rephrase your question. We're dealing with a spiritual battle here. That people appear to be at fault, and they may be wrong, but we're dealing with a battle beyond that. So what do we do? We bring the belt of truth into play. We think about Christ, the gospel of Christ, what we have in Christ. We think about the fact that I've been, I have a righteous standing before God. I can respond. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with other believers. Faith. What promise applies in the circumstance 
I can resist sin. I can respond correctly. What sword do I need, or what part of God's sword do I need to use here? The Word of God. Well, God tells me to be forgiving and not hold a grudge. So I will forgive. And then praying together. Unseen battle. We use the armor that the Lord provides. Let's take a church looking for a pastor. Many times when churches look for pastors, believers are seen as the enemy. And there can be attacking one another and fighting one another. And, well, I want this. No, I want that. I, you know, the next person wants something else. I want a guy like this. And it can be quite an interesting process. Believers are not the enemy. We're battling with the dark world of rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil. So we need to put on the belt of truth as a body of believers, putting on the belt of truth, leadership reminding, we put on the belt of truth. We think about Christ. We as a body have a righteous standing before God. <clears throat> Not only Daniel, but also Jerry and Nancy. You know, the whole body has a righteous standing before God. We can respond in a godly way as we work through this process. We're at peace with God, and we're at peace with one another. Now we need to maintain that. We're ready for this because we're at peace. What promises apply that we need to reflect on? Salvation. We can go through this in a proper way. We can resist sin. We can respond correctly. Because we as a body have experienced salvation. We can use the sword of the Spirit. No. What's the sword of the Spirit say? Well, we need to follow leadership. We need to be concerned about character of the person that would be selected and so on. And then praying corporately. Praying together. (laughs) And I realize we've covered a lot of ground this morning. And I realize this is a process day by day. But the armor is there. No matter what struggle we face, the battle is an unseen battle. So we need to use the armor that God provides so that we can experience victory. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned in terms of transition and change and so on, that we would reflect in our church. I remember years ago when we were going through the process of making a decision concerning building. It was an interesting time. And we came to some conclusions that we were not going to borrow any money. We finally came up with a plan and everyone, you know, basically went along with the plan. And we came through that, I think, pretty whole because we realized we were not battling people. 
There's another decision that we had to make, or had to make, whether we have pews or chairs. And I think we came through that pretty good, but I'm still upset that no one went along with my idea. I wanted orange pews without backs. And I said that facetiously, and I say that facetiously this morning to illustrate a point. The battle was not pews or chairs. The battle was an unseen battle against the spirit world. But using pews or chairs in the outworking of his seeking to get the upper hand. Please understand what Paul says in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. At the end of the battle, we can be standing. Because we use the armor. Other times we may blow it. But the armor remains there for us to use. It doesn't change because of our being in Christ. And to remind us of who we are in Christ and having our hearts set right, we want to sing together as Travis comes.